The Kaplan Community Podcast is a place to catch up with Kaplan Business School alumni. We talk about life after graduation, what we're doing now, careers, opportunities, and future plans. This podcast is exciting because it features alumni who have made amazing transitions. I'm Kieran Howard, the Alumni and Industry Partnerships Manager at KBS. And my name is Dr. Richard Stager, the MBA Course Director at KBS. So season one has been so fun to make, and I'd say it's been a successful launch of the podcast. We think that the season deserves some good closure, a wrap up. So we'll share some of our highlights from these interviews I'm truly grateful for these alumni stories, and they've made me reflect a lot on my own life. Richard, it's been a pretty big success so far, right? Oh, it has been. It's something that I've never realized I would enjoy so much. Just getting to know what our students are doing, the successes they've had in their careers, and just having a good, good connection with people is so valuable. I've really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, I I checked again today. I remember when we started out and I thought, you know, we'll be happy if we can just get a few people listening, some some heads nodding. And we've got over a thousand listeners from the wider Kaplan community. And that's spread across 230 cities in 50 different countries. So I, I think a big thank you to the KBS grads who agreed to be interviewed and, and share their stories with us. The thing I think that really struck me about the about everyone who appeared on our podcast, all of our guests, is not only their willingness to be really open with what they're doing, but in ways that are, they showed a lot of care for trying to give advice and good guidance so that the level of mentoring in this podcast has really been gratifying to listen to. Definitely. I I remember in the very first episode, Angel was actually saying, um, you know, oh, I'd love a chance to even mentor a current student or another alumnus. Yeah, did you have any specific episode or takeaways that you'd share? The first episode really caught my eye with, with Angel. And the reason being is she's talking about transitions in the real sense of the theme that we had for the podcast. Still really definite on her career. So I really drew inspiration from just her tenacity, her diligence to, stay, to stick with that goal. Yeah, Angel's episode was a great start to the season. And I, I remember I just learned a lot from her describing her career type and FMCGs. It was also sort of a good intro to anybody hoping to be in that sort of career to, to hear from somebody like her who, who's done well. You know, one of the episodes that I, I actually really liked was Ulysses Farias. And the thing that really connected with me with him was that he never lost focus, even though he he didn't take a detour in his career by driving a truck. He actually took time driving that truck to learn the supply chain structure in Australia, as well as perfect his English. You never forget about your past experience, and you don't make sure that you do less in Australia just because you don't think you can, because you don't know English or you don't have the experience. When I was a careers advisor, I, I spoke with just so many students who, who would describe the same pattern, the same story. I mean, Juan Pablo in his interview spoke of something similar. And you see, they, they speak of the steps required to really get, in in some cases, back to where they were, but others view it as sort of ahead. They're moving ahead rather than, you know, I was in this position. Now I'm a truck driver and, and it takes me a while to get back to that. 
Um, but now somebody like Ulysses, for example, is, is much further ahead. He's working in an entirely different atmosphere in another language. And he's doing great, just, just like um, Grace and Juan. It's really great to see them succeed. Remember Nina Nicodavina, and you're talking about life in Australia and how she's settling in and eating burak. Is that how you pronounce it? Burak? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were so enthusiastic about it, but she'd never tasted it. And even though it was a native dish from that, from that area where she came from. So I did think that stuck in my mind as something that is, we truly made a connection. Yeah, I, I think it's it's also something special about Kaplan or, or the Kaplan community is is the diversity, the cultural diversity that we have. I know that just working or studying at KBS, you can learn a lot about different cultures. But it, it was funny that she was she was even, you know, increasing her knowledge of her own cultural background here in Australia. It was wonderful. I think one episode I actually took a lot from was our interview with Mia Du. She was a great interviewee. She was very open to sharing her experience and was also in a different situation than our other guests. While Mia had, you know, an impressive career history in China and Australia, at the time of the interview, she was actually in between jobs. And so we talked with many of our guests about their current professions. But with Mia, we talked mostly about personal development and her aspirations. Did you have any takeaways from that episode, Richard? Yes, I did. She came across so strong on her lifelong learning. Her advice on how to get started in the Australian market and advance her career. And she was so excited in saying that coming in from China, she doesn't need to upgrade her skills in mortgage broking because she already had those skills. She needed to upgrade her skills in the Australian culture and in English. And that's what her real focus was. So again, I admired her tenacity and just that professional development taking out on the edge you know what they they do say that the one of the best investments you can make is in your own abilities or education um, and working for the alumni community one of my biggest goals is help people even after they've finished their studies to to keep on learning and developing themselves and i guess besides bringing opportunities to our alumni like the lifetime of learning initiative or workshops I, I definitely try and practice what I preach. Are, are you learning anything at the moment, Richard? Have you, are you a lifetime learner as well? I am a lifetime learner and I'll have to laugh. The podcast represents one of my opportunities for learning. So it's understanding how to produce it, how to edit the, the audio, all of the artwork associated with it, working with you, Karen, working with you on promoting it. So that's a lifetime learning. And as well, I've got to say in general, being an academic at KBS, I'm learning all the time. Love it. I'm, I get so many opportunities to interact with students and everything from strategy to leadership to finance. And I myself, I got to confess, when I was in university, I wasn't the best student. I did a lot of daydreaming and a lot of playing. So now to go be able to go back as, a, as an academic and being a bit more disciplined about it, I'm having a good time. How about you, Karen? <laughs> I, hopefully I've gotten easier to edit because during the podcast, I think I've, I've learned, if you hear me in the first episodes, I, I've learned to say, um, less. <laughs> that was my real crutch at the beginning, but maybe I've, I've improved a bit there. Um, oh, well, I just did it, didn't I? <laughs> I am currently enrolled in, in two areas of study, actually. It's a real passion of mine is, is to keep on learning 
outside of my job, you definitely learn a lot working at Kaplan. I'm also doing my MBA at KBS, and it's a much bigger task than I first estimated. I'm learning so much and grateful that, you know, Kaplan supports me to pursue this. But man, an MBA along with a full-time job, I have so much more appreciation now for what our students actually accomplish because because they're all even doing it, most of them in their non-native language. Can you tell me, because I'm curious, what's your favorite subject so far? Uh, my favorite subject, I, I really did like consumer psychology, but to be honest, Richard, and I'm not and I'm not trying to be too complimentary here. I really did enjoy learning more about finance because it was something, and, and that's a, a class that I took with, with Richard. It's something that I thought was going to be totally out of reach for me, beyond my skill set. It's something that I'd never touched before, but it's really essential for business. If you want to be a professional and have a better understanding of the business world, you really should know what a profit and loss sheet looks like and how to interpret it. And so that was really enjoyable for me. A lot of the other classes, I learn a lot, but it's more within my comfort zone. So I think that's part of, of study is to push ourselves out of the comfort zone. You know, I'm really, I really am flattered. I'm honored that you liked my class, the finance class, because I do have to tell a funny story. I, st I remember walking into the staff room and seeing you in there and realizing that not only were you my colleague, but you were also my student. And I just, I remember making a comment like, oh, welcome to finance. You'll have fun. And your eyes were as big as dinner plates look like for me. I still remember that. <laughs> and you, you're saying, well, you know, I'm not very good at numbers and I've never done a finance subject before. I don't know what to expect. I'm working a lot. I'm having to travel a lot. I don't think I'm going to do very well in your subject. And I just remember looking at you and thinking, yeah, you will, because I make sure you will. And you actually did. Yeah, well, it's, it's not good to enter something with an attitude that sort of shoots yourself in the foot, but that it definitely the, enjoyed the class. The, the other thing I'm learning at the moment, actually, and one of the reasons I sort of connected with Mia was every Saturday I have Mandarin class. And I'm, I'm proud to say I've just advanced to level two. I'm finally able to put some sentences together, understand a bit when it's spoken around me. So I guess when I listen to Mia in her efforts to gain higher knowledge and certifications at Kaplan Professional, it really struck a chord that it's a lot of work but it's worth it because you can not only climb professional ladders, but each year bring new skills to the table and sort of expand your ability to understand the world. But yeah, it is a lot of work. Oh, Mandarin. Congratulations on Mandarin. It's such a useful, productive language to have because people who have tried to learn a second language, I've learned over the years, I've, I've dabbled in a bit of Spanish, learned Italian. And isn't it, well, I always found it very embarrassing to start off a conversation in a foreign language, feeling very awkward about it. So I do agree. An accent is a sign of courage. But you yourself speak, Karen, don't you, you speak Spanish, now you're studying Mandarin? Yeah, a bit, a bit of Portuguese as well. When I, when I lived in Brazil, I was able to get by with a sort of Spanish-Portuguese mix. But I'm, I'm lucky enough to have... Uh, my wife, who speaks Spanish to me at home, so I don't forget it. You definitely forget languages if you don't don't practice them. Speaking of building your career path, 
something about Grace's episode and listening to her, because uh, it's really su- such a pleasure to see her doing so well now. I've seen her on the KBS Alumni Vodcast, our video interviews, and she was a co-host. And she's somebody with a lot of focus and determination, and she actually took time off purely to refocus and re-examine her goals, which isn't something a lot of us do, but she took time off to make sure that she knew she was moving in the right direction. Have you ever taken time, Richard, purely for transitioning? I did, but at the time I didn't see it that way. I decided that something, my career had to mean more to me than what it was at the time. That's when I became an academic. I enrolled in doing my doctorate and I had to do one year of coursework. So I had to learn how to do everything from statistics to writing a a literature review and and doing the thesis. That was actually life-changing. I thought that I would become a better consultant by being an academic. And instead, the other way around, I learned to think of problems in different ways. And it was probably one of the more lonely times of my whole life in in a funny way because I was lost in my own thoughts. And I've often thanked my wife for helping me get through this time where day after day, all I did was focus on my thesis. I took 12 months off and I worked in a bottle shop and I sold good wines in Balmain. And it was the a good time of life, selling wine, doing my thesis during the, during the work week, going back to the pub, being well-known, being one of the lads. And then I finished it off in such a celebration way. I, went, I flew to Singapore for a week and I did nothing but eat and get on my, my computer keyboard and finish the edits to my thesis and I submitted it. And that was such a, and my career has never been the same. I've just gone, I've achieved my dreams. I've now become the, the helper where students seem to value what I say and I feel like I've really helped them. And that gives me more joy than anything else I could, I could ever say. Helping students is my, is my reason for being. So yeah, that was my transition. Well, I I think actually that's really interesting what you said. Grace made me reflect when when have I taken transitions like that? And pretty much everybody does when you're, say, just out of high school or something, or you finished your bachelor's degree, that sort of thing. And and we look at our our 20s being a young adult as the perfect time to do that. But I remember that, you know, it was actually later on where I made some of my more important and serious transitions that took a little bit more risk and bravery. (laughs) It was after studying cultural anthropology at at uni, I had a great experience doing some work as an ethnographer. In my last project, I was exploring autoethnography by teaching the principles of cultural anthropology to rural Kenyan teenagers. And, and helped them to compose a study on their own tribe, the Giriyama. And it was such an amazing experience. Got a grant to bring these cameras out to these villages, teach them photography, and they produced an amazing study that I couldn't have produced uh, even if I had lived in that group for years. But when I came back home to California and did a lecture tour on the work, I discovered that I was completely unfulfilled by academic research, or at least that side of it. I mean, that's the follow through and the part that actually leads to 
career advancement to money. So I ended up deciding that I would have to completely start over, move to another country. I ended up totally spending some time to re-examine what I wanted to do with my life. And that's how I ended up in business. But you do at times have to make a jump to find a fulfilling career path. And definitely glad I've ended up where I am. But hearing somebody like like Grace or some of our alumni interviewees say things like that, it gives you some reassurance that it's possible as well at, at different stages in life. But you're right about the, the transition because it was Mai Wong. We talked with her in, in Life in Perth, and she made the comment along the lines of, of graduating, deciding that she wanted to settle in, in Perth after a couple of living in Brisbane, I think, for a while. And then she made a comment that after having a child, she had to decide the right time to go back to work. I really thought, stopped and thought about that because I've never thought about a transition as being something to consider when to go back to work. When I was doing my transition with my doctorate, it was about doing as quick as I can, can so I could get a different job. Well, I ended up getting into academia as well, doing some English teaching in, in Spain and Brazil. I loved how we were able to interview not one, but but two students who had then become KBS lecturers. So Tul Vatsaikan and Julian Rosalind, both of them ended up becoming lecturers in subjects similar to what they had studied at KBS. And I thought that was great because it brought up some interesting ideas about academics, about learning and teaching that we don't always examine. You know, many times we view things from one perspective or the other. We, we, for example, online study, we have the student experience and the challenges there. But it was really interesting hearing Julian talk about the challenges for a lecturer delivering an online class or hearing Tool talk about, you know, the curriculum that she taught and how that related or not to, to what she was doing. Did you have any takeaways from hearing these, these lecturers? Yes, I did. I, I paid a real close attention to Julian and his. It was a disappointment. It was almost a, a sadness that he had to go online. This is personally how I feel. I'm at my happiest when I'm actually in front of the classroom and not because I'm getting the attention. That's not the reason. But I look in the student's eyes as I'm talking and periodically I see somebody who's maybe looking disinterested. Maybe their eyes are cast down a little bit. And all of a sudden I say something and they'll look up. And then they'll start really paying attention and their head will turn to the side maybe a little bit. And then I've, I know that I've done something to pique their interest and they've had this aha moment. When I can stand up there and take a group of people, a group of students, and get them interested in something that they normally wouldn't like. I mean, let's, let's face it, I teach finance. Sometimes I even think it's a bit dull. <laughs> but to turn around and when they leave that, that subject, they're not only interested in the in what I said during that, during our time together. Uh, but they also seem to be in a bit of a happier mood. You know, I've kind of picked them up during the day. So to miss that with online, when only people look like a television show with boxes on a Zoom screen, that really is, you lose that sense of connection. And so what I find myself doing in Zoom is getting very close to the camera and looking very close at the, at the video that someone's got turned on because I want to see their face. So I, I totally get everyone who does a Zoom call for business, for studies, whatever. 
it's surprisingly important to leave your camera on because people like me who need to see a face, it doesn't matter what you look like, as long as we can see whether you're smiling, you're frowning, you're looking away, it doesn't matter. But there's nothing more lonely than to speak to a blank screen with, you know, just no videos at all. We, we often discuss the challenges of learning online or online study. And that's why, you know, this podcast does touch on topical issues. It's something especially pertinent now. I, I did teach the class at KBS, one undergraduate class, and it was in the first trimester that we moved to all online study after, um, you know, after COVID and, and campuses closed down for a while. And I do remember there, there were definite challenges, but to me, what students were supportive, understanding, and, and what I found the most reassuring was that it was sort of an adventure for all of us, a challenge for all of us. And we still were able to, to pull it off through some mutual understandings if, if at times there was difficulty with assignments. Well, my favorite part was at the end, we did group assignments and they were able to work together really well and even do group presentations really well online. So it just shows the need for sort of communication. And I agree, it, cameras on is a really important thing. And I would I would talk about that a lot in the in the lectures. But communication between the lecturer and the students and, and even each other, students talking to each other, can make it a much easier learning environment. Yes. You reminded me of a funny story. I had my Zoom set up and I'm really keen and I walk into the room into the because we're all under under social isolation. And so I was in my bedroom on my Zoom, get my PowerPoint slides up and I welcome students and so happy. Good to see you. You know, and I called people out by name and everyone's waving at me. And then I get started and in about five minutes. I had people looking at me rather quizzically. And finally, someone was brave enough to take off. It was when we were still not used to using the microphones. And someone took off the microphone and they said, excuse me, Richard, but you have the wrong lecture slides up. This is week four, not week five. <laughs> <laughs> so then it's what I knew, Karen, you comment about student communication. I was really complimented as someone would actually tell me that I was making a mistake. <laughs> and then as time went on with that class, we had a, we had a lot of fun. They actually... Oh, Richard, I don't agree with that. I did this and I did that. And we talked about consumer goods. And somebody asked me what pair of shoes my wife likes to wear, what brand and why. So I had to cut the lecture short. I gave a break to go ask my wife what she thought about shoes and handbags. <laughs> and those are the kinds of things online, actually, that you can't get in classroom because it's in a funny way, you're working hard to be spontaneous and you go all different kinds of ways. Yeah, you put effort into it. My my trick that I learned was to make everyone feel sort of a, a lighthearted mood and and easygoing online was every single class. I was teaching the class on event management and every single class I'd put a Zoom background of me at a different event. So I'd be at a rave or at the Olympics or something like that. And often it would be totally silly strange looking, but I think it got everyone into the mood to to sort of learn and participate. Something that I really liked when I heard Julian talk about, you know, because he's, he's a popular lecturer and he's been with us for a while. He also is somebody who's a successful accountant and has started his own business yes. in accounting. And so 
you hear about those two sides of lecturing at KBS, at least something at a business school. He's an academic teacher and an industry professional. So that's something I definitely enjoy, you know, learning from somebody who's actually out there doing, knowing how to get jobs, make things work in the real world. But there's a lot of controversy over it, actually. If you if you do some reading, people think, oh, should people actually be from industry in the classroom or vice versa? I, I wonder what you would say, Richard, what are the sort of advantages or difficulties with transitioning from industry to teaching? Well, that's a good question because I did just that. I went from a career in banking into, into teaching. My, my career in banking and IT over those years, I feel like I can bring a bit of life, a bit of realism into the studies. I truly believe that there's nothing better in the world than having a good theory. You know, a theory tells you ideally how things should work. But then working in industry, you get an idea of how things actually work. And there's some of the best war stories you can ever have when you're in a lecture. You know, it should have worked this way, but it didn't. Somebody, you know, resisted change or we didn't have enough money, whatever, whatever the problem. And I can make it realistic so I could make my stories really authentic for students. And I'm not sure I could do that, honestly, if I had gone in straight into academics and never left. Naturally, I would have had to been teaching from the book. And my job, I feel, as an academic is to get students interested in, in the theory. A good theory will explain, like I said, it'll explain so many ways of how the ideal strategy should work. But I think I would have let students down if I didn't have the industry experience by saying, hey, look, that's all great. But guess what? In the real world, don't you ever say that you love a theory. In the real world, you say that you love paradigms or you love models or you love frameworks. But you never say theory in the real world. But here in class, let's talk about this. My goal, I hope, I've left students in a, in a better stead where they can see both worlds. Yeah, so to answer your question directly, I would turn around and say that coming from industry into academia is much more important and valuable for students than the other way around. Yeah, I well, so that was one of my major takeaways from listening and talking with Julian was in my event management class, I actually hadn't taught for several years. I did deliver, you know, careers workshops, but more importantly, I had managed and secured sponsorship for many events. So it was, I'd recommend getting into teaching for any professional who's a good communicator. It was, it felt easy to pass on the knowledge and answer students' questions, but you're, you're absolutely right. You're able to con combine the theory with the practice. We could talk about the event life cycle and also how do you actually keep sponsors happy? How do you, uh, what's a meeting like? You know, how, how is this going to be if you take it up as a career? Yeah. And that's actually a lot of the reason why I like this podcast. One of my favorite questions to ask is, well, it's okay if you agree or disagree with me. I'm particularly complimented if you disagree. And the reason being is that means you've thought about what I've said you realize that it doesn't really fit into your own situation. And so then you're telling me how you view the world opposite from me. And I find that kind of discussion where it's not that we have a disagreement in class, but where I'm getting students to come out and say, well, Richard, what you said is not my experience. And I thought, yes, you've understood what I've said. You've realized what your own experience is. And now we're trying to grapple with somewhere in the middle. So it's that nuance, Kieran, that you just talked about. 
what is a meeting? You know, did that go well? Did you, was your event sponsors happy? Well, those are the kinds of things that you can come out with when you have these, these business stories, these war stories, whatever you want to call it. I enjoyed Julian, and he is a good teacher. Tool mentioned the same thing. And one person that, I, that you made me think of in terms of being a lifelong learner, being somewhat academic, but also being very industry focused was, you remember Kenny Sidipo and his story? Kenny I love Kenny's story. Yeah. He starts off, I believe it was, he said in microbiology, something like that in Nigeria. He goes to the UK, he does accounting and finance. He wants to get into Canada, but he can't. So he comes to Australia. He does his MBA with us. And he finally gets back into Canada. But, you know, after, I'm not sure how many years that was, but it, probably, it seems to me like it was a good decade, probably. But that was a fellow who changed. And the thing that really I admire about him is he's sitting there in Canada now, but he still has, he's still sponsoring or funding or, or doing something with a, a cooperative farm in Nigeria. And that's what struck me. He's that industry professional that's made a transition, but he's giving back into helping other people find jobs, even though he may not be teaching per se. He's enabling other people to learn through his cooperative farm in Nigeria. Yeah, you know, I knew Kenny when he first came to Kaplan Business School. I, I met him as a careers advisor and, you know, first looked over his resume and talked with him about how to get jobs. We we ended up looking at interviews together and, and connecting him with some local employers. I can say it's a really easy to listen to episode because he's, you know, he's very well spoken, but he's also such a friendly guy to talk to. I really enjoyed that one. Well, Kieran, I've got to turn around and say, I've actually enjoyed my episodes with you. And I'm being really honest about that because <laughs> I've, look, I've learned quite a lot in a, in a different way just from doing this podcast. So this podcast I mentioned is my, lifelong learning initiative, what I'm learning from now. But you've actually told me, you've actually taught me how to tell a good story. In the future, how best can we make this podcast into something that is educational, maybe not academic, not that kind of education, but how can we make it where it benefits people and, and gets them to think about things in different ways? Yeah, I, I've definitely enjoyed it. And I guess my final favorite thing from, from the season has, for me actually has been when guests I always reminisce, I'm able to learn something, but sometimes when guests speak about something that's just totally over my head, because we had some really different career types. And sometimes I'd hear, I'd hear Vamshi talk about his, his experience with startups and, and deep tech or Juan Pablo talk about data analysis, even Kenny and, and talking about his work in financial management. And sometimes it would just be stuff that's alien to me way over my head, but it was so fun getting to learn and and also share and i think i'm hoping that that those listening would have also learned quite a bit just from hearing these different professionals who are all kbs students too that's right they're sharing their experiences and you know what a what a nice way to be mentored by a, by the podcast so karen we're off to into season two something that i'm really keen on we're talking about mental well-being for the first few episodes Season two is definitely exciting. We're going to be approaching things a little bit differently. The The source of guests will be pretty diverse. So season one, we focused entirely on interviewing 
KBS graduates. And now, as this is the Kaplan Community Podcast, we're going to open it up and include people from the wider community. So that includes, for the first few episodes, different people from employees and leaders from within Kaplan. And we've got a pretty great lineup. Well, that's a wrap. And thank you, everyone, for listening to season one. We're just getting started. And you can find us next season on your favorite podcast player or visit our website, kbs.edu.au slash podcasts. Thank you, Kieran. I'll see you in season two.